Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feast, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feast. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. You can take a seat.
The story just continues to break your heart. If you were here last week and saw the first video, it just, it just continues to break your heart. But aren't you glad that God never gives up on us, that his love does not fail? My hope today is that regardless of where you are, where you find yourself, that you would not leave this place without experiencing the unchanging love of God. Today we're going to be picking up the story in Hosea chapter 2, as we read a moment ago. But before we get there, I want to just let you know about a, a couple of things. Um, first of all, the, uh, I will be out of town next weekend. Um, I will not, not be here, and so I will not be preaching. We're not going to like have a, a video camera down in Houston or whatever. But uh, Woody's going to actually be preaching. And uh, that's going to be awesome, and I'm going to make sure that we video that so that I can watch that. <laughs> Audio will not be good enough for me. But uh, make sure you're here. That's going to be a really great time. And then um, something I forgot to tell you guys last week was the reason why I chose to cover and, and preach the book of Hosea specifically at this time of the year. Um, in case you've been living under a rock, Easter is on April 20th, and uh, this, this time, if you have any friends who are, are Catholic or are a part of a uh, high church type denomination, you would have seen them walking around, I think this was last Wednesday, was Ash Wednesday, is that correct? I saw some people with, you know, the, the cross on their forehead. This is the season of Lent, and uh, I chose this, this book to cover at this time of the year because Although we're, we're, you know, as, as a Bible church and as evangelicals, we don't kind of dive as headlong into liturgy as, as other uh, denominations or, or um, parts of, of the, the Christian faith, there's a lot of value in the liturgical calendar. And the season of Lent can be a really beautiful thing because the purpose of it is kind of taking inventory of your heart and kind of looking inside and and looking at your soul and trying to assess where am I living my life apart from my, God, my Father? Where am I living life on my own, distant from God? And to repent of those things and come home, to come back. And so my hope is that as we read this book, we would examine ourselves, that we would let these passages be like a microscope to what's going on in here. 
so that we can then be honest with God and deal with um, the breakage that's in our relationship so that it can be restored. So that's the reason why I chose this book, and I wanted to share that with you guys. Um, Before we we look at the text, I do want to tell you uh, a little bit about some friends of mine. Alexi and I have some dear friends over in Arlington, and for the sake of privacy, I'm going to call them Larry and Rachel, even though that's not their real names. But uh, they are both really awesome people who love Jesus, and um, Rachel actually took took uh, Lexi under her wing and mentored and discipled Lexi for about a year while we were living over there and just faithfully loved and served her um, in, in some powerful ways. But one of the sad realities for our friends, uh, Larry and Rachel, is that they have four children and the youngest of their adult children, they're all adults, uh, Adam, is not walking with Jesus. Um, his life is ve- it is very evident by his life that he is not walking with Jesus. He is in and out of school, he is in and out of trouble with the law, and he struggles with drug addiction. And so, as a result of his choices, uh, Larry and Rachel have chosen the difficult path of showing Adam tough love. Because of the choices that he has made, they have completely cut him off financially. They don't give him a dime because they love him and they want him to see what he is doing to his life. And so, as a result uh, of this, um, really, things are not, not going well, as, as you might imagine. Um, they continue to love their son. They conv- continue to reach out to, to him and pursue him and invite him to all of their family gatherings, birthday parties, things like that. But he rarely comes around. He doesn't even come to birthday parties. And the sad thing is that despite all of their tough love, they really have little to no relationship with their son. Now, I'll tell you that story because every single one of us wants to experience real love. We've been kind of talking about that over these past few weeks. But the reality is that sometimes real love is tough. And this morning, I want to I figure out, I want to wrestle together with why is real love tough sometimes? Why is real love tough? As we look at Hosea chapter 2, which I invite you to flip there uh, with me, we're going to see why real love is tough sometimes. And if you need a Bible, there's a blue one there in the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, somebody help me out, but I think Hosea's on page like 751, 752 in that Bible. That's what I remember from last week. And uh, Last week we covered chapter 1, and what we saw as we looked at chapter 1 was that um, God has a covenant love for his people, for his children. That despite Israel's utter unfaithfulness, despite our utter unfaithfulness, God is faithful to us because he has promised to and he has covenanted with us to be faithful, to love us. And this week, as we look at chapter 2, we're going to see that God's love is a tough love. And my hope is that as we look at this, even though tough love is something that we don't necessarily like, we will learn to love the tough love of God. Because I believe that when we love the tough love of God, we will experience God's love 
And when we experience it, it transforms us and it changes us. And so we're going to look at um, some of the verses, a few different verses in this chapter. Uh, not going to cover all, all of it, but before we do that, I want to pray for our time together. Pray with me. Um, Father, this, this reality that love is sometimes tough is, is a hard pill to swallow. When we're the, on the receiving end of your tough love, sometimes it feels like everything but love. Like a, like a child who has been cut off financially. God, I pray that your spirit would give, the, give us the ability to hear you out today. That we would listen to your word and that it would speak life and it would speak love to us. We desperately need that. We need to be with you today. We need to hear from you today. We're not here just to sit in a pew. We're not here just to sing songs. We are here to worship you and to remind ourselves that we need you. Would you give us the grace to hear what you have to say to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here in Hosea 2, Uh, Like I said, we're not going to cover every single verse. There's a lot here, but I I do think that there are some key verses that will help us understand why God's love is sometimes tough. First of all, look at verse 5. So here in verse 5 we read, For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. So in this passage, God is really walking through, Hosea is explaining why and how Israel has been unfaithful to God. It's kind of giving the, 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 the case for their unfaithfulness. And in this verse, it explains really very simply how Gomer has been unfaithful to Hosea in order to show Israel how they have been unfaithful to God. And so the bottom line is that Israel has shamefully played the whore by going after other lovers, by worshiping other gods. We could get into the detail of that, but the, the basic idea is they are worshiping foreign gods. They are worshiping the Baals. And there is a reason why they did this, and we see that in this text. It says that they were unfaithful to, to, to God for, for a, a couple of reasons. At the second half of that verse, it says, For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food, my bread, or give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. So this list starts out with basic needs. It says, says bread, water, wool, and flax. That's food, water, and clothing. Wool and flax is how they made their clothes. And so then he adds to that list my oil and my drink. And these are to be symbolic of pleasure, things that we want, not just basic needs, but also things that we want. And so what we see here is that Israel's unfaithfulness in their relationship with God was basically rooted in a desire for meeting their needs and having pleasure. Their unfaithfulness, their idolatry, their, their, their uh, adultery was rooted in this idea that 
these gods will give me what I need and they will give me what I want. And they believed that because one of the, one of the really tricky things in life is that when we seek pleasure from things outside of God, sometimes we actually receive some pleasure for a little bit. You see, one of the scariest things about sin is that it actually delivers for a moment. It actually gives you what you think you want, what you think you need for a moment. So think about it this way. You sit down and you you pour yourself a nice glass of wine, and as it hits your palate, your taste buds begin to dance. It works its way down into your tummy, and halfway through that glass, you start to feel a little merry. You start to feel a little good. The edges come off a little bit. Or you start flirting with a coworker, and their attention starts to make you feel good about yourself. You feel desired. You feel uh, like somebody thinks you're great. For a moment, sin brings that pleasure that you want. But the story doesn't stop there. Look at verse 8. It says, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. See, we go to these idols. Israel went to these idols because they believed that they would give them what they need and what they want. But what they didn't realize is that the things that they need and the things that they want come directly from the hand of God, not these imitations. God is the real provider. He's the creator of the grapes and everything else that goes into a great glass of wine. He alone is the only true source of affection and love. Not only that, he doesn't just give us what we need and give us what we want. He doesn't just give pleasure. He provides it all in abundance. It says here that he lavished on them silver and gold. So the most valuable things on life, God just dumps the cup over and lets it flow freely. But the sad thing is, due to their confusion and their sinfulness, Israel used these very gifts from the hand of God to go and worship Baal, to worship these idols. But before we start jumping down their throat and standing over Israel in judgment, we need to look in the mirror. We need to take a second and come to grips with how we've done this too. Because the reality is that you and I are exactly like Israel. We may not go to a temple or engage in pagan worship, but we bow our knee to all kinds of gods, thinking that they will deliver for us what we need and what we want. We work hard. We use the strength and the intellect that God has given us. And when we're not careful, we slave away for the God of money so that it will give us what we need and what we want. We think, we think that that money that we earn will bring us the security that we need. We think that it'll give us the pleasure that we so desperately want. And then, when we get our paychecks, we feel great and we pat ourselves on the back for how we earned this. And then, in that moment, we've completely forgot that everything we've accomplished, everything that we've done, our jobs, our education, the energy and health that we have to do that work comes from the hand of God. We are not awesome. He is awesome. 
And so we also take this to the next level. So we slave away and we bow our knees to the God of money. And then we take that money and we run out to the store and we buy all this stuff that we don't need. Stuff that we want that we already have at home by the droves. We fill our closets with more clothes. We fill our drawers with more trinkets. We buy movies. We buy games. We fill our houses with stuff that we don't need because we believe that it will give us something that our soul craves. And so all along... The problem is that we're forgetting that true happiness is found in God, that he's the one who is giving us what we need and what we want, not all of this stuff. You see, work and stuff are not bad in and of themselves, but what happens is when we worship them, we turn those into idols. None of these things, none of this created stuff will ever meet our needs or, forgive, or, or give us the pleasure that we want. Only God can do that. You know, when I, when I think about this, the question that comes up to my, in my mind is, why in the world do we continually get this wrong? Why do we, like, learn the lesson and then the next day we forget it again? Like, why can we not just get out of the circle, get off of the wheel, quit being a hamster, just, okay, I'll do it again. It doesn't work, but I'll do it again. Why do we stay in that trap? Look at verse 13 says this, And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. At the end of this list of reasons for judgment and a pronouncement of judgment, there's one tiny little phrase that I think explains why we stay on that hamster wheel. Notice the very last part. And forgot me, declares the Lord, and forgot me. Notice he doesn't say they forgot my law. Notice he doesn't say they forgot my deliverance. He says they forgot me. They forgot me. You see, I believe that forgetting God was at the root of all of Israel's idolatry. At the same time, I think that forgetting God is also at the root of our own idolatry. You see, we forget God because we don't really know God. What I think was true about Israel is true about us. We know about God, we know his word, we know the right answers, but we fail to really pursue him and to really know him. Because there's a difference. There's a difference in knowing about God. There's a difference in having the right information and trusting him and pursuing him and loving him and being loved by him. And the problem is that when we don't know God, when we don't really know him, we don't know that he is trustworthy and so we don't trust him. We don't know that he is good and so we don't experience his goodness and very quickly after we forget him and start to live life completely on our own. And then things quickly unravel. That pleasure that we got from sin runs dry and we're left completely abandoned, alone, and frustrated. 
Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. God doesn't let this searching go on forever. He doesn't let us bow the knee to these other things forever. In His mercy, He intervenes. And the problem, though, is that it doesn't always feel like mercy. Sometimes it feels like a swift kick in the pants. Because instead of giving us what we want, God gives us what we need. And what we need sometimes is the gift of pain. The gift of pain. That is tough love. You see, that great glass of wine that started out as a little taste bud dance and a little, you know, warm feeling in your heart, it turns into three or four drinks a night. And before you know it, you're waking up in the morning pouring yourself a drink before you hit the grind because you can't get on without it. Not long after, you're a slave to your own appetite. Your relationships are all suffering. Your friends feel like you're not the same. You're not really ever around. Your kids wonder why you're in the house but emotionally on another planet. And your wife wonders, what happened to the person that I married? Your husband wonders, where did she go? You see, that pleasure that we got for a moment gets us hooked, and then it ends in a place that we never intended to go. See, what starts as a little, you know, somewhat innocent but kind of not flirting in the office turns into a physical relationship, and your boss finds out, or even worse, your spouse finds out, and the laughter turns into mourning, and your work and your family relationships are screwed. You're exposed. You're ashamed. That sin that brought pleasure brings pain. Your, your kids don't know why you chose this way. Your spouse feels completely, completely betrayed. It to bring pleasure, but it only brings pain. It seems to bring pleasure, but it only brings pain. I promise you. Remember we talked about last week, our unfaithfulness wrecks our relationships, friends. I want to remind you of that. It always wrecks our relationship. It never goes unchecked. Never. It may seem like it for a moment, but it never goes unchecked. It always wrecks your relationships. And what I'm begging you to see today is that if you are a child of God, the pain that your sin, bring, that your sin brings is a gift from your Father. It is a gift from His hand. He is trying to wake you up to the reality that you are going to end in death. Because he really loves you, your father will let you drink the cup of destruction from your sin because he knows that it will help you see that there is danger and death in that path. He knows that it will help you get out of that situation if you will see it. But the difficulty is trusting that this is the hand of God and that it is loving because it doesn't feel like God and it doesn't feel loving. Thankfully, God has made it very clear that he loves me and that he loves you and that punishing your sin is for your good and it's for my good. 
You know how we know that? We look at the cross. We look at the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus, God in human flesh, took the punishment for your sin, for my sin, as he bled and as he died. And that was horrendous, but it wasn't malicious. Because God's motive in Christ's death on the cross was not just punishing sin. It was taking care of the debt that our sin incurred by slaughtering his son. He did it because he loves us and because we needed it. So my, my plea with you today is I want you to just, I beg you to realize the painfulness of your sin. To realize the painfulness of your sin. And I also beg you to recognize that that is the tough love of God. The pain of your sin is the tough love of God, and we just got to realize it and recognize it. This is a tough subject. We still, if you're like me, you just want to buck up against this. It's just hard to receive. It's hard to believe. But I believe with all of my heart that this is true. But how is this pain the tough love of God? I mean, how is disaster God's love. Look at the second half of verse 7. After saying she'll pursue her lovers, not overtake them, she shall seek them, but shall not find them, we read this. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. After pursuing other lovers, and only after that, does Gomer realize the futility of her ways? Then she makes the decision to go home to Hosea, who is the one who has really been providing for her all along. After worshiping the Baals and seeing that that is just a waste of time, that these are worthless idols, then the decision to go back and worship God and God alone is made by Israel. You see, experiencing the pain of sin is tough love, and it's the tough love of God because God uses it to bring us back to a loving relationship with him. He uses it to get us out of the grip of sin and death and back into his grip where life and true joy and pleasure are found. And so, in the cross... Jesus experienced the pain of your sin and my sin so that we could be reconciled to God. So let's remember, Jesus didn't die on the cross and go stay in a grave. He rose three days later, defeating sin and death, showing that God is able to take anything, pain, death, anything, and resurrect it and bring life from the worst pit of hell. He can bring life from anything. And so... The cross teaches us that God's motives are always redemptive. Every ounce of pain you ever go through is from... It, it, let me back up. Every ounce of pain that you ever go through is a tool that can be used to bring you back to God. And when he allows it in your life, he is not doing it arbitrarily just to you know, have fun with you and watch you suffer. He is doing it so that you will come. He is doing it to bring you back to him. You see, real love is tough sometimes because we just won't get it any other way. 
We are so thick-skulled and so hard-hearted that we have to experience pain or we will not wake up. Sometimes tough love is the only thing that will lead us back from sin and death to our Father. Today's New Testament reading that Eva read for us is from the parable of the, the prodigal son. And she read the first uh, six verses, the part where the son goes to his dad and is like, give me all my inheritance. Takes off a couple days later, goes off into the far country, wastes everything, has to hire himself out to a fit pig farmer, and before he know it, he's starving to death living with a bunch of dirty pigs. In verses 17 and 18, after experiencing the pain of his, son, of, of his sin, the son finally gets it. Listen to this. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I don't know where you're at today, but I just have a hunch that some of you are living in the far country. That you're desperately trying to make it on your own, separated from your father. You may not have squandered your inheritance by living some life of wanton pleasure, partying and the like, but you know that you've made a mess of your life and that you are living completely cut off from your Father God. The truth is, we've all wandered off into the far country because the far country is not so much a geographical place. It's a place where our hearts are stuck in rebellion and pride. The question is, what is your far country? Where are you currently living completely cut off from the blessings of God because you aren't depending on him trying to make it on your own. What is your far country? In Proverbs chapter 3, the reading that, that we have for today, it says this in verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. What this verse teaches us, guys, ladies, God gives you tough love because he delights in you. He allows pain in your life because he delights in you, as a father delights in his son. You see, Gomer, Israel, and the prodigal son, they all eventually learned this lesson, and they went home. What about you? Are you going to learn this lesson? Are you going to go home? Earlier in this same chapter of Proverbs, there's two verses that you've probably heard before, probably some of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible. In verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Make straight your paths. Friends, God hedges up our way with thorns 
and lets us end up finding ourselves living with pigs so that we will stop leaning on our own understanding and trust in him. He lets a glass of wine turn into full-blown alcohol addiction and an innocent flirting thing blow up into a full affair so that we will stop leaning on our own understanding and trust in him. God uses every ounce of your pain to bring you back into a loving relationship with him. And your father is looking for you. He is longing for you. He is waiting for arm, with arms wide open for you to come home. And the question is, are you going to realize the painfulness of your sin and recognize it as the tough love of God? Most importantly, are you going to return home? You can do that today. Let's pray.